Hello and welcome to episode 122 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we have none other than the EMLS star for your Los Angeles football club. You know him as the Savvy Panda. Alan Vu will be joining us as our guest this week. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer and joining me this week, Christopher Signs. Good evening, sir. What's going on? What's going on? Black and gold family back for another week. Unfortunately, Christian is not going to be able to be with us tonight. Hopefully he feels better. Hope, you know, a little bit of sickness is going through his family, it seems like, or a little fatigue at least. So hopefully everything's okay and he'll be back with us next week, I'm sure. But excited to talk about the black and gold. I'm happy that LAFC got a win, even though it was looking pretty close there at one point in the match against San Jose. Still kind of reeling from the uh, the loss to the Galaxy. You know, luckily we have the international break going on and uh, we're going to look to refocus against Seattle in what, like three weeks? The Red Bulls, the first home game. But yeah, we play Seattle uh, in three weeks in Seattle. Yeah, look, this team's got to get healthy. Uh, I think the biggest issue over the course of playing eight games in four weeks was the fatigue and, and the physical fitness. I mean, this team was beat up. You know, Latif in crutches, Hollingshead in a brace, and yet these guys both came back. We've got current injuries to Vela and a number of other players, although it looks like Segura's coming back. It looks like Escobar's coming back. So this revolving door of player availability, it's really been a grind over the course of the past month. But uh, happily, before we go into this three-week break, we do have some good news to discuss. And that is, of course, the Los Angeles Football Club defeated the San Jose Smurfquakes 3-2 to two at Bank of California Stadium. I'm going to go ahead and offer my apologies for episode 121, in which I predicted this to be a poor performance from LAFC. I uh, look, I think, I think we were all in a pretty dark place coming out of that Carson Derby loss. And perhaps this hasn't cleansed those demons completely, but uh, let's go ahead and dive back into it, Chris. So we had our starting lineups announced for this game and there it was the moment we have all been waiting for, not in the starting 11, but in the 18. None other than Steady Eddie himself, Eddie Segura, is back. And, of course, he didn't play. But, Chris, what does it mean to you to have Eddie Segura back in the squad? Oh, it's a lot. I, I think that for a lot of LAFC faithful, they would all think that Eddie Segura is definitely one of our best center backs on our roster. And not just this season, but in the history of LAFC. And when he took that injury last season, we definitely felt that void and I think that that was evident in how we played down the stretch and how we continued to give up soft goals and you know just like Will had mentioned when we had him on our show Will Koontz had mentioned that getting Eddie Segura back in the middle of the season is almost like getting a new transferred player in because of how much he brings to solidify that back line so I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to see how the dynamic plays out, especially when we talk about who is Eddie going to be paired up with? Is it going to be Mamadou Fall? Is it going to be David Jesus Murillo? Is it going to be Chiellini? You know, we don't know. We don't know who the two center back pairings are going to be, but um, Eddie Segura is it is going to definitely be a, a, a nice thing to have him back. Well, you've segued the next comment perfectly because maybe, maybe it's not a two center back system. Because lo and behold, for this game versus San Jose, we get the announcement in our starting lineup that we're playing a 3-5-2. 
Of course, we've got Cripo and goal, but we've got Ibiaga, Ilya Sanchez, and Mamadou Fall as our three center backs across the back line, with Ilya marshalling those center backs as our central defender. Interesting choice. One, again, probably forced based on just the health of the roster, but gosh, you, you got to wonder what Tony Leone's got to do to get into a game at this point if we're willing to put Ilya back there over him. Uh, we had a midfield of Acosta, Sifu, Blessing, and Hollingshead, and forwards of Arango and Rayito. So what was your initial reaction to seeing the club put out a 3-5-2 with Ilya Sanchez as a center back? Well, if you actually, you know, I remember that when we had Daniel Sperion, who was the opponent correspondent when we played Kansas City earlier in the season, he had mentioned Ilya's versatility and that Ilya had filled in that role as center back for Kansas City previously. So I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. But at the same time, you know, it's interesting to see if you watch Ilya play, a lot of times he'll fall back into one of those two center back positions, whether it's to cover for Mamadou when he goes up and he has to track back in the interim until Mamadou gets back into his position. Ilya is there as that that other center back uh, just to give him coverage. So I feel like I've seen Ilya as the as the backline defender a few times throughout the season. So, I, I mean, I, I wasn't. I wasn't totally taken aback by it. It's it's interesting to see us. You have the three center back formation because we hadn't really seen that this season. That the last time we saw that was last season with Bob Bradley when we were definitely looking for some change in the formation to give us rejuvenated life uh, last season. And I thought that he played well. I I mean I do I think that uh, Ilya is definitely a very very solid player and and a, a utility a utility player that can be used as a midfielder or as a, as a defender. And as for Tony Leone, I think that he's just still really young. I don't, I'm not even sure if he's 18 yet, or if he is, he might've just only been turned 18. So it's, you know, there's still a lot of youth in those legs, you know? So I, I think that uh, LAFC was just looking as for an opportunity to continue to try and put things in the right foot. And it worked, you know, the strategy worked. It was interesting to see though, because the first goal that LAFC had was the penalty to Chicho Rongo silent stadium. Not more than a minute later after the 3252 broke their silence, then did Ryan Hollingshead score. Right. And then we got the two goals. And then right after that, Ibobasi comes in strikes, not once, but twice dude levels it. You look at how the team played and they looked like they started off well. And then after the two goals, I don't know if they took their foot off the gas, but it just, it left these openings for San Jose to creep in. And it wasn't until a third goal later in the game that Raito got in the second half that, that ended up sealing the deal. But still, it, there was a, a flash of brilliance at the beginning slowly faded away as soon as San Jose had their opportunities and crept back in to tie it at a 2-2 right before half. I'm happy to see that we won, and I'm happy to see that we were able to utilize players in other positions, but I'm not happy because I still don't feel like we played a complete game. Wow, that was quite a thorough answer to your thoughts on Ilya at center back. Thank you. It took me all the way through to halftime with that one. You know what, I love bro, it. I, um, I, but it was, it was a it was a pretty wild first 30 minutes of the game. Obviously, you have the the statement being made by the 3252, which we are absolutely going to dive into in part three of today's episode after our interview with Savvy Panda. So if you're looking for an inside perspective uh, from myself as a member of the 3252 governing body about uh, exactly what my thoughts were around that whole thing, I'd love to share that with all of you, but we'll get into it a little bit later. But one thing you have not seen from this LAFC roster this season 
are a lot of explosive starts to a game. So many shows, not including just our own. So many people across the greater landscape of MLS have talked about how LAFC have really struggled in the first 15 minutes of games. Uh, and here we have a, a quiet Bank of California stadium, the little chirping coming from San Jose fans up in the rafters. And LAFC came out and within those first 15 minutes of the game, found the back of the net twice. So say what you want about what the 3252 did. This game certainly had a very different first 15 minutes. Whatever led to that, be it in the locker room, be it in the stands, be it on the pitch, or a combination of all three of those things, we saw a phenomenal first 15 minutes from this club. Of course, it's that 16th minute where Ibovisi, you know, strips the ball, getting tried to play it out of the back and, and is able to pass it into the back of the net. And he almost had himself a first half hat trick uh, if it were not for Ibiaga coming up with a, a huge save on the line. And, and frankly, it was he fluffing the shot that went in before that, but you know, he does find that equalizer there and we go into halftime two two, and all of that momentum that had been built throughout the course of those first two goals suddenly fell flat. So where was your heart? Where was your head going into that second half amigo? What were you thinking? Were we going to see more of that first 15 minutes or were you really frustrated by the latter half hour of that first half? You know, I think that LAFC has done a very good job more often than not this season in making halftime adjustments. And a lot of times those halftime adjustments lead to goals that we have in the second half and we hold our opponents to not scoring in the second half. And that was true in this match on Saturday. We had a goal right out of the gate from Raito in the second half, and we continued to not allow a goal in the second half against San Jose. So I think that there were some good adjustments that were made. It definitely helps to have a goal within the first couple of minutes of the whistle of the second half. But I was hopeful that the team would come and make some changes. And, uh, you know, at the end of the first half, I felt the team was a little flat. And that was just, you know, you you have a lot of wind in your sail when you're up 2-0 and then it creeps in at 2-1 and then it levels out at 2-2 and you're like, it's disappointing, it's deflating. But uh, I, I was glad to see that LAFC still came out and, and got the victory, regardless of whether or not it was one of our prettier victories or not. A win is a win and I'll take it, especially in response to how we played uh, last week on Wednesday. So. Either way, to me, what matters is that we're still winning and getting those three points. The team looked absolutely gassed towards the end of that first half. And I was wondering if, you know, the fatigue that had led to the roster machinations that had led to poor performances in the midweek game, if that was it, if all we had was 15 minutes of spark in this team, and that was all they had left in the tank, which, frankly, at the end of playing a game every three days for an entire month, one could understand that you just run out of steam at some point. And the fact that we were able to come out of that locker room at halftime, find the back of the net, and then more importantly, shut the game down defensively for the remaining 45 minutes. I mean, San Jose had some looks, they had some opportunities, but for the most part, the defense kept themselves pretty calm and collected. And I thought we really saw the kind of heart and fight and performance from the players that we frankly did not see in the midweek game. It just looked like the squad was really pushing to go into this break with those points. And despite San Jose's best efforts, they were not going to squeak away that equalizer. I think it's so fitting that on our last show, our opponent correspondent came on and said, you know, look, San Jose doesn't have a problem scoring goals, but you know, they've been giving them up 
at as good a rate as they've been scoring them. And they've been playing a lot of three, two, four, three, three, three games and how he described that this game was going to come down to who could hold that last goal from going in. And if one team could stick it out, then they were going to take away the three, two lead. And that was exactly how this game played out. So spot on analysis there from our quakes correspondent. So we go into the break and here we have it. LAFC sitting atop both the Western conference and the Supporters' Shield standings. So sunshine and rainbows, I suppose, as far as our performance within the league, there are still a lot of people that have the sour taste of our bitter defeat in that U.S. Open Cup in the back of our minds. But nonetheless, we are sitting pretty going into the break. That is exactly where this club needs to be going into the latter stages of this particular season do you have any final thoughts on this game before we get to our interview amigo yeah absolutely uh you know we talked about it a couple of times over the last few episodes breaking up the month of may into two parts right the first four matches of may the second four matches of may you know just to give our listeners the recap right we talked about how the first four matches of may in 14 days we played four matches we had a win a draw a loss in regular season play plus the win against portland in the u.s open cup so in those four matches two wins a draw and a loss and we talked about how looking ahead if we could have that same two wins a draw and a loss that we would be happy with that result especially if one of those wins came from the u.s open cup that didn't happen but i'm still trying to sit here and give a, a positive reflection on the overall performance of the club in the last four matches in the month of May, again, another four matches in 14 days, LAFC had two wins and two losses. And two of those wins and one loss came in the regular season play. So if you look at the evaluation of the whole month in the eight matches, we had four wins, one draw, and three losses. And three of those four wins came in the regular season. So, you know, I, I guess if you're a fan that's, a little unhappy or disgruntled, you look at a silver lining and you think, okay, you know, as a body of work, we've had, we took away 13 points out of a possible of 24 in a month's time, right? You played eight matches in a whole month. I think that that is a reasonable amount of points given the circumstance and the amount of fatigue and matches that had to be played. Given the injuries piling up, hard to be too disappointed when your team is currently sitting number one in the Supporters' Shield standings. The loss to Carson aside, if you take that one game out of the month, it's not a bad month of football. That one loss certainly sits forefront in the mind of fans, but of course, you have to be ecstatic with being number one in not only the Western Conference, but number one in the Supporters' Shield standings as well, too. So with that, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with none other than Alan Boo, the Savvy Panda, right after this. This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Folks, joining us now is none other than the Black and Gold's EMLS player, the Savvy Panda. It is Alan Vu joining us here on Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Welcome to the pod, sir. What's up, man? How's it going? Man, excited to finally get our eSports representative, man. The club has had an eSports representative for a couple of seasons now, and you know, Alan was recently, recently joined the LAC Black and Gold family back at the end of 2021. And uh, we're just excited to hear the story. I'm, I'm excited. You know, this is definitely one of those industries where I don't feel like I'm fully aware of how it all works and the dynamic of it. And I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, we're really excited to hear exactly 
how you joined this club, so much about the EMLS world that not being a big gamer myself is something I find very fascinating from the outside in. But let's go ahead and rewind the story back a little bit. And when did the beautiful game, or in this case, perhaps the beautiful video game, enter your life, sir? I grew up my whole entire life playing FIFA video games until today. Recently, maybe two years ago, decided to take it to the next level, you know? So the first year, it was kind of getting used to the whole system, the formatting. Everything was, it's, it's so different playing tournaments, you know, you get points based off tournaments and learning from the first year going into my second year before I got signed, I even took the next step further, you know, practicing even more six, seven hours a day of FIFA, which is a lot, you know, I think it kind of takes that kind of dedication being a first time professional gamer. So I did very well last year before getting signed. I finished fourth in North America you know, after all the tournaments and stuff. So I think that's where LAFC kind of noticed me just on the rankings. So they reached out to me, you know, like I, f- I feel like for contracts like this, you can't really put yourself, you can try to put yourself out there, but people that want you will basically come to you. They'll come to you and they'll let you know when they're ready, you know, because they had their EMLS pro with uh, Remy a few years ago. He was their pro for about two years. So maybe they were just ready to go in a different direction. So they went with me. And so you said that you had played FIFA your whole life. Did you ever actually play football too, like in in a youth rec league or or growing up in a club setting? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually played soccer growing up my whole entire life as well. I think the two kind of go hand in hand, you know. So I think if if you ask any kid that plays soccer nowadays, they they play FIFA on the side, you know. Always the the guy, the teammate that destroyed everyone in FIFA. <laughs> I literally beat everybody and we would have like mini tournaments with the whole team, you know, at someone's house. And, you know, I just, I run through the whole thing. We put some like $5 on the line, you know, as kids, it was a lot, you know, but uh, I played, we played all the time, all the time. And then, you know, I was always good. I just, I, then, then that's when I wanted to go the next step. Well, your career took a slightly different route before picking up the sticks professionally as a registered nurse. So tell us a little bit about how your career sort of managed you through the medical world. And at what point in time you decided to say, you know, being an LVN is fun and all, but I would prefer to spend, you know, five, six hours a day playing a video game and try and do this professionally. That's a pretty stark career choice. I'm sure one, the parents are probably not too pleased about at the onset. I'm curious as, yeah. to, as to what drives someone to make that decision. You know what? Um, it takes a lot of time, obviously. Any days you have off, weekends, you know, like you literally spend those minutes, those seconds when you're off, that's it. You know, like it's, they have a saying where um, you don't touch grass. <laughs> it means like you stay home and you play video games all day, you know, like, and where I, where I live during the summer, you, you can't touch grass because it's it's too hot out there it's like 110 out there so you you don't even want to leave the house winters are cold below 30 30 and below so you know like you're you're indoors and i don't know maybe maybe it's a little addiction (laughs) in there along the way (laughs) a little addiction because you know you you growing up competing you want to be better you always want to be the best at everything you do like that's just how I've been. So, you know, when I put my mind to it, it's just, you just go. So that's where the nursing and FIFA comes in. You know, you just got to put your mind to it in a, 
It'll work. So I'm curious, growing up playing FIFA your whole life, what were some of the clubs that you preferred to use or play with? Or did you just play with whatever club it was at the point in time you didn't really have a favorite? I, I've, I've spoken to people that have played video games, especially like sports games, and they, they have two different schools of thought where, you know, some people are, hey, I want to get really comfortable with one or two teams or people that say, hey, I want to get comfortable. I don't want to get comfortable with any. I want to be able to play with any team at any point. So that way there's the versatility. Which one of those types of players were you? You know, like I'm looking at it as like a competitive point of view and casually having fun point of view, you know. So when you are playing with your friends at home, you 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 don't really care who you play with. You kind of just want to play with. Sometimes you want to play with the, the bad teams, you know. Because I was always winning, you know, so everyone wouldn't let me pick the best teams. Like during the time, it was always like France was always a very good team. I played FIFA when Zidane and Henri, all those guys are still in the games, you know. And then they would always be like Manchester United, you know, just the big top teams like that. So I was never allowed to use those casually with my friends, you know, like I had to use. (laughs) uh, I don't remember like teams are rated from three stars to five stars, you know, like. I was set at a limit from three star being the minimum so against the five star teams, you know, like that was always me. But um, nowadays, when you look at competitively, people say the word meta, which means like what works best in the game. So you got to pick the the best teams if you want to compete. You got to have the best players when you want to compete. So you got to use Mbappe's, Messi's, uh, Ronaldo's, you know, like all those guys. So like competitively, five star still, five star teams. <laughs> Casually, I'm only allowed to use three. I guess the question we're dancing around asking here is, did you support any other teams growing up? Were you a oh. fan of any professional clubs? And, and did gotcha. that influence the team you picked at all when you were a kid playing this game? Yeah, um, well, I grew up basically a Barcelona fan my whole life. There, from like Eto, Dino to Messi, you know, like those, that was kind of like my era with them. So, yeah, I wanted to use Barcelona basically every single time. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. One thing that, you know, when I think of usernames, it kind of harkens me back to this moment as a childhood. Maybe I'm sitting at a round table pizza and I'm at one of those freestyle arcades back in the game. And I finally, after dumping an entire allowances worth of quarters into the machine, (laughs) have got to the point where I could save a high score. And I remember always trying to come up with the most clever three letters to try and put together so that anyone who came into my round table pizza saw that high score and they were like, oh, that's that's a clever screen name. Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's that's taken off with the world of avatars and everything else right and and in the modern game i mean even most people who know of you if i said oh you know we spoke with alan boo the other day they'd be like who and i was like oh, savvy panda they'd be like oh savvy panda yeah. right so so tell me the origin story behind the name savvy panda where did that come from and how long have you been using that okay so um that that's not actually my original gamer tag i guess you can say i stopped gaming online for a while and then i recently got back into it just two years ago, maybe two, three years ago. That is actually my little brother's name. <laughs> the Savvy Panda is actually my little brother's name. So um, he had an online membership. So you got, you have to pay to play online nowadays. So, you know, I didn't want to, I was only playing for fun in the moment, you know? So I was like, you know what, let me just casually have fun with your account. And um, I played a few games online and everyone's like, whoa, like, you're really good. Are you a pro player? I was like, no, I'm just a regular average kid out there just playing video games. You know, so it eventually got to more messages and more messages, you know, and then 
and then the savvy panda just kind of just kept going and then i decided to take on the name <laughs> it's a very short story but so do you do you have to pay your little brother royalty <laughs> rights or what was the argument when you're like look i'm gonna go pro and i'm gonna go pro and i'm gonna take your name when i go yeah. pro i can't imagine like that's got to make for some awkward thanksgiving dinners so mm -hmm. how did that go down yeah, uh, that's exactly what he said at first. You know, um, I'm going to need a little cut from your paycheck every time, every month or something. Whenever you get paid, I'm going to need a little bit, you know. Um, but he's my little brother. We're like 10, 11 years apart. So I kind of bullied him into just letting me have it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, I mean, all of this starts by borrowing someone else's account. And, and now that's your name that people refer to you as. And it wasn't even your own creation. It came yeah. from your little brother. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, so take us through that journey from, you know, you're just playing casually. You're using your little brother's account. You're smoking eight-year-olds across the world. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, someone says to you, hey, you, you know, you're pretty good at this game. Have you ever you ever thought about going pro? Mm -hmm. So take us from, from that first conversation to becoming a, a semi-pro and, and how that all transpired. Starting from that message, basically, um, to kind of put yourself out there, to, to let yourself be known a little bit, you have to stream, you know? So um, from that moment on, I decided to take the next step and I started streaming on Twitch as well. So yeah, basically it just, it just builds off of that. So it goes from messages to Twitch and then to winning some tournaments, placing well in tournaments, being seen, and then, you know, eventually someone will, will find you on Twitch or someone will find you. What, was there a light bulb moment? Was there a moment in the course of you playing semi-pro where you're like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm pretty stinking good at this. Like, I, I have a real chance of going pro. Was there a particular tournament that you played in or someone that you beat, a moment that you could circle on the calendar and be like, that was the moment I knew I had the chops? Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, that was the end of last season, end of last season. So 2021, FIFA 21, when I finished all my tournaments and I realized I wasn't signed yet at that moment, I realized I placed fourth in all of North America, you know, and I sit here and I tell myself, I'm fourth in North America. There's 28 EMLS players. Why am I not signed? You know, like, and every year, this is a constant cycle with every type of player out there. You know, someone beats me one time on a weekend. Oh, I'm good enough to be pro. Why am I not a pro? You know, it's, it's the consistency that you have to build in order to become that pro. So the aha moment was definitely um, at the end of 2021 before getting signed. So, you know, you look at the rankings, right? Fifth overall in FIFA rankings, fourth in North America. You know, those those rankings are earned by points and victories. And, and now when you're playing and you're having a ranking match against another opponent, how does the team that you decide to play with affect the scoring you know if you're gonna play uh, let's say you play with like a a top team like a liverpool or a barcelona and the person you're playing with has an mls side you know you have you have an advantage with the skills of the players that are on your team you know so how does that come to effect or is it one of those situations where you get to build your own team and you get to have your own players? Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty much, you know, you're playing against a guy who has the same style of players, whether it's like you both have a Ronaldo, you both have an Mbappe or a Messi, uh, and it's just whoever comes out on top. 
Yeah. So it's, it's um, the, the last thing that you said, we get to pick our own players. You get to choose your own formations. You know, when you start getting to the knockout stages of the tournament, every team's basically the same. So, you know, you're basically just playing against each other and who's better at that point, because there is no team difference at all. Is there a strategy or a style of play that you think defines you as a player? Is there a formation that you're married to or some tactics that you think for the young player out there, you know, these are the skill sets that you have to hone in order to be the best EMLS player, or is it really something that you have to be so well-rounded that you have to be able to play with all the various formations and techniques? So last year and the previous FIFAs compared to this year, you were able to use whatever formation you want, be very good at your one formation, and you can compete against another formation. So the big issue and the big talk about this year was they made a few formations just irrelevant in the game. And there's only like maybe one or two that will probably give you the best chance to win. So the game has adapted and a lot of FIFA players aren't happy about it because the tactics and the formations decide the game for you this year. So it's not really like based off of skill compared to the previous FIFAs. Can you elaborate a little further? Like what did they do to change the game and what particular formations are, are more advantageous? Why did they do it that way? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> we, we really don't know why they changed the games like that. If you talk to a lot of pros, I think they would all agree with me saying, um, this might be one of the FIFAs, maybe the past five, six years that um, a lot of people don't like. Just because of using the tactics, you have to use certain tactics. And um, there's counter tactics to those tactics as well. So, you know, like you're constantly switching tactics and formations the whole time. And you forget about playing the game, you know. So that's basically all it is. Would you say, when, especially when you look at the the uh, rankings, you know, if you're fifth in overall FIFA rankings and four, the fourth in North America, that means four out of the top five are from North America. Would you say that the esports for the ML is big for the MLS, or would you say that across across the ocean in in Europe that esports is also just as big when it comes to FIFA? FIFA in Europe, UK is huge compared to what we have over here. Every year we kind of feel like things are always catered to the UK, you know, because their their player base is so much bigger than ours. They hold more tournaments than us. They That's all we have over here is EMLS. That's legit all we have. And it's only from January through March. That's all we have. And year round, they have champions, E-Champions League over there. They have... English Premier, it's kind of like EMLS, but they have the Premier League players, you know, so they all play each other year round. They take more top players to go into playoffs as well. Here we get maybe four spots to go to playoffs. Over there, they get 16, 16 to 20, you know, so that kind of speaks for itself. What do you think the United States needs to do to grow the EMLS and the FIFA game here so that it's competitive or at least viewed in the same light as some of the leagues overseas then? Oh, no, we have, we have the talent here. I just feel like it might not be on EMLS because EMLS, their organization, everything they do is top notch. Like 
the most recent event that I played in, Austin, Texas for EMLS Cup, that production level was, I heard it was better than EU's and UK's, all their stuff over there. I think it's just a matter of actually EA Sports making us a bigger thing over here. So there's nothing we can do as EMLS organization. Speaking of that, uh, there was a recent announcement that came out talking about how FIFA is going to break away from EA Sports right in the future. How is that going to affect you and the rest of the league in the EMLS or even just as the game of FIFA in general, right? Does does the league that you're a part of, is it more in line with EA so you would then move over to the EA platform or are you guys more aligned with FIFA and so you're going to continue on with the FIFA platform? So FIFA is it's no longer going to be called FIFA. I don't know if you heard about that. Right, yeah, that's how okay. I, I, okay, I, but I know that they were because I've read the article because I play FIFA right very casually. Okay. okay. And I had read in an article that, you know, EA Sports was going to make take their platform and not call it FIFA anymore, but they mm-hmm. were going to still make the soccer game that was yeah. produced by EA Sports, but that FIFA now that they were no longer going to be a part of the EA Sports that FIFA was going to make their own separate game also. So there was going to be these two competing soccer games. One mm-hmm. was going to be called FIFA and one was going to be created by EA. That was my understanding of it. Well, my understanding was just, I think FIFA in general is not going to be part of the soccer game for EA anymore. What I'm getting from that is like, I'm hoping they host more tournaments, bigger prize pools, maybe, you know, cause the, they are completely moving away from FIFA. So I feel like maybe FIFA was kind of holding back EA just because FIFA is bigger over there in Europe, you know? So if they bring it out of FIFA, then maybe we'll get a few more tournaments out of the year over here. Hey, two leagues, two paychecks, right? Seems seems like a smart move. So speaking of being signed, why don't you take us through how the black and gold introduced themselves to you? And how that entire conversation went back and forth, resulting in you signing as the second ever EMLS player in the history of LAFC? Um, It was very uh, nerve wracking. You know, I got a message. I think it was a message through Twitter as well from one of the representatives. I think it was from Alex. Do you guys know Alex? Alex Sale? Yeah. Yeah. He was my guy, man. I, I love that guy. Alex is the best, man. Yeah. He's a cool guy. He works for Men and Blazers now. He no longer works for the club, unfortunately. I know. He made my signing process very smooth once it actually got started. You know, um, he kind of gave me the heads up about two months in advance that he was going to sign me or LAFC was going to sign me. So the whole two months of waiting, I, I didn't think it was real. <laughs> I thought it was just like a joke. I didn't know who Alex really was. I didn't know how big he was for the company, you know. So I sat there two months, just freaking myself out. I was like, is this real? Is this real? You know, and all he kept telling me was just be patient, be patient. <laughs> we have things in works, you know, be patient. It was, it was scary. It was scary. So we fast forward to November 24th of 2021. Mm-hmm. The announcement comes out that you've signed your first ever professional gaming contract. So the two months is finally up. The club comes back to you and says, this is legit. This is for real. Take us through that moment. That legit was a dream come true. From playing with my friends when I was a kid, all the way till now, and finally being signed. I'm, you can't ask for anything else. And being part of the EMLS, the biggest league 
in North America, you know, like you're, I've made it to the top, finally there. What was your family's response? I can't imagine your parents were probably too thrilled about the amount of time you spent playing <laughs> video games. Was there that moment of validation where you got to take that first paycheck or that first contract and like slap it on the windows, a la Goodwill hunting style at the family house and just, just kind of give the parents a little bit of how about them apples? hundred percent. That is exactly, <laughs> that is exactly what I did. I was like, see, look, you can get paid and play video games. There you go. Oh, Stop great. yelling at me. Don't take away my console ever again. Don't take away <laughs> my little brother's console ever again because you never know what's going to pop up. And that's exactly that's what I did. But they were they're very happy for me. You know, um, they know how much soccer means to me growing up my whole entire life. So it's a big step. Tell us about coming to LAFC, seeing the stadium, the 3252, seeing it all in person. Right. Tell us about that experience. Oh, man. It makes anyone a fan. If, if you're just an MLS fan and you don't know who to root for, you go to that stadium and you see the 3252 on the side and you're just like, wow. I went to a Barcelona game just recently that summer. And then I came back and I got like the same vibes. I'm not even kidding. The fans chanting and going crazy for the full 90 minutes is insane. And, you know, like the atmosphere was, it made my wife become an LAFC fan. Like she, she's like, I'm going to the store. I'm going to like, this is my new team. I don't even care. So then I also took my cousins recently to go watch a game and they're LAFC fans now. <laughs> like love it. Die love hard. it. Love yeah. it. So, you know, we know that your season is a short extension, right? It's, you said it's at the beginning of the year, January to March, right? Is, mm -hmm. is typically when the season goes. So what do you do in between then to kind of tune up you know, are you still Twitch and streaming regularly for fans to come in and watch you play? Is that something that, that our listeners, if they're interested, could participate in? Yeah. So I still stream every weekend. I recently just took the two weeks off because too much FIFA is not too good for the mental health. You know, it gets you frustrated in a moment. So you got to take breaks. So I took about two weeks off. So I'm back to streaming all my weekend games and, um, you know, you just kind of hang out, just interact you know you don't take it too seriously anymore because obviously the competitive season's kind of over so and so that's on twitch and it's the savvy panda there as well too you know what so i'm you know how the savvy panda is my little brother's name i kind of wanted a rebranding so i changed it to my actual nickname that i've been called my whole entire life so my new twitch name is booskies now so it's my last name is just like skis at the end. So All right. So Vooskies. Yeah. Uh, any thought of changing your professional name for the club next year? Is this going to be the last year you'll play under Savvy Panda and stop stealing little brother's name? I think so. I think so. If it's okay with LAFC, it was only a year contract. So I have, I would have to resign again come, I believe August, you know, and I, I would let them know of the changes and hopefully they're okay with it. Yeah. So right take on. us through some of those tournaments while you were performing for LAFC. Like what is a tournament day like in the life of an EMLS player? And, you know, take us through this last round of tournaments. Every pro player takes it differently. You know, um, for me, I got to have my coffee. Like the other kids are drinking Red Bulls all day. You know, if I drink six Red Bulls a day, I ain't sleeping at night, you know? <laughs> so um, I have a few cups of coffee, you know, that's kind of my little morning routine. I like to wake up and get maybe an hour and a half, two hours of warm-up games, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> two hours of FIFA to just warm up, right? 
yeah and then you got to take the little breaks in between get your eyes off of the screen between games and yeah i mean you got to play relaxed the heart rate is up here blood pressure heart rate is up here you can feel your pulses throbbing through your neck because the games are so intense but uh yeah you just gotta learn how to keep your chill eventually uh let the thumbs do the talking it's all muscle memory from there how many games in a tournament or let's say the tournament the first game might be like at nine or ten o'clock in the morning how many hours are you participating in the tournament before the day is over and they say okay come back tomorrow yeah so for emls we played nine games a day nine games a day so that's at least if you want to say seven six seven hours because you wow. have to report scores, you know, it's a lot of waiting because if you finish first, you finish faster. It was all online this year. Mm. So it was all from remotes. So we all play from home. People lost connection. You would have to wait for that game to restart. Yeah. I was going to say what happens, you know, because before, if you guys are all at one location, right, mm-hmm. the internet is probably a little bit more consistent and, and yeah. controllable. Whereas if you're at your house, right. And you lose connection, how do you, how do you remedy that fact? I'm sure that's a bit of a bit of a headache. Yeah. Uh, it's actually terrible. <laughs> for me because i think california we don't have a server we so you know you're playing guys east coast and your servers are really bad connection's always an issue for me you know i've le- i've just learned how to deal with it just because kind of have to we just have no choice but yeah you just have to wait for other games to finish and you're just waiting all day for your next game to start that seems like a, a very tedious process hopefully that's just something that's covid based and you know, you guys can get back to getting in one spot. It seems like it would be so much more fun if you're in the same room as the person you're competing against, right? To have yeah. a competition like this and you're just kind of sitting on your couch or, you know, in your chair at your desk. Right here. Right? This is um, right here. This is where I was at. <laughs> um, you know, especially after, you know, we saw some of the, like the McDonald's room at the performance center that they had put together that was all decked out. You know, that's got to change how you perform. That's got to change the mentality a little bit when you're just, sitting at home in in your regular chair as opposed to going someplace and taking part in an event that's got to kind of take away something from the experience does it not it takes away everything you know um i i wanted to be a pro because you see these events that i played in for mls they were all held in person before this you know so i i watched all of those tournaments pre-covid i watched all of them so i wanted to experience that and to figure out that it wasn't happening it was like a dagger to the heart, man. It, it hurt, you know, but actually in March, they, I think they lifted COVID restrictions in March. So we actually got to play one tournament in Austin, Texas, EMLS cup, which is the biggest tournament of the year. And it was in person and I got to play in it. So what's the future for you, Alan? Is this something that you're dying to re-sign that contract and you'd like to continue being an EMLS player? Are there aspirations to maybe take this to a different level somewhere in the world? Or where does it go from here? Yeah, 100%. I want to re-sign again. I think I got like maybe a good two years left in me. Another two years of professional gaming because when you're professional you take the game to a whole different level and it's stressful it's it's a lot of time and practice commitment you get tired it's exhausting mentally just exhausting you know like to do this more than three four years is I find that kind of hard but I would love to do it again with no COVID at least you know and experience the full 
EMLS experience. And yeah. Well, we sincerely hope it is in the black and gold. We look forward to, to watching you play again. Uh, best of luck in wherever this takes you. But thank you so much for your time today. Before we send you home, Alan, we do have one final question for you. It's a question we ask every guest. It's, of course, one of the flagship mottos of this franchise and the name of our podcast here of Shoulder to Shoulder, a phrase that seems to be interpreted differently by everyone who comes on this show. So, Alan, we're curious, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Well, all all the fans watching shoulder to shoulder do not get mad because I, I don't know if there's a specific way to interpret this you know but to me it means everyone stands together you know like through good bad championships whatever it is e-gamers the fan base 3252 everyone's always together shoulder to shoulder and uh you know you don't take that away that's what it means to me well thank you so much for joining us folks once again our guest today has been alan boo you know him at the savvy panda although Potentially, you might know him as Vuski going forward um, when he's not stealing his little brother's moniker. But he is, by any other name, the EMLS player for your black and gold. We thank you, sir, so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thank Folks. you, man. Hey, good good luck this the rest of the season, and uh, I'm sure you know uh, we'd like to get a game of game of, uh, of uh, FIFA against you, but you have to you have to take a two star team against yeah, me. All right, you know yeah, let, let me know, Chris, whenever you're ready, man. Right on, brother. Me. I would never ever be ready. You would destroy me at any level. You could give me a team of all Ronaldos, right? And you could play the easiest team, and that you would still destroy me. I'm terrible at video games, but uh, but nonetheless, sir, thank you once again for coming on, folks. We're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back with the final segment of today's show. Yo, this is Shavo from System of a Down, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, Chris, great stuff there from Savvy Panda. Let's go ahead and dive into the rest of the news and notes going on around the LAFC world. And I think we would be remiss if we did not start with a conversation about the 12 minutes of silence from the 3252 to begin our game versus San Jose. Before I, I launch into my explanation and thoughts around it, just as a fan taking the game in, when did it become aware to you that something was different? And what were your feelings throughout the course of that 12 minutes? So I wasn't at the game on Saturday. I was not able to attend, but I, I had f- close friends that went and sat in my seats for the match on Saturday. And they had taken first time people that attended the bank. And my friend, Andrea, had told me that she specifically didn't tell her sister or brother-in-law about the 3252 because she wanted to give them the shock factor, the awe factor, right? And the match started and there was no 3252. And so she was just telling me that she's like, she's like, I looked around and, uh, you know, she's like, all right, I, I guess this is what's going on today, right? She had no idea what was even really happening. She didn't. And um, she said, she talked about how she had heard some cheering and drumming And, you know, in my seats, the cheering was coming from the upper left side, which was the away supporters. And uh, she was, she's like, I'd never even heard that before. Like, I'd never even known that there was people that could ever be in that section. And she wasn't sure exactly what was going on. And so I had gotten the notification that she's like, hey, you know, what's going on at the 3252? And I know that there had been discussions on social media about wanting to have a silent portion of the match, but I, I didn't know that it for sure was happening. And then I get the text a little bit later being like, Oh, never mind, Right. 
it's it's on and you know she then told me that uh you know the the look on her sister and brother-in-law after after those 12 minutes of the fans and it was just it changed the environment it changed everything about it and she said it was kind of eerie to sit there in that stadium and to not hear the chanting and the flags and the awante and um you know i wish i would have been there to, to to take it in because I 100% believe that it matters and having the 3252 backing the club and backing the players, it motivates the players to play better. And it also intimidates the opposing team to where it's part of that mental game where you have to get over it and you have to focus on playing the match and not being distracted by the, the 3252. I'm hoping that the message that, the 3252 was trying to give was received and that it wasn't taken poorly or misrepresented or misinterpreted because at the end of the day that I think that the 3252 is is extremely important to the, to the lifeline of this club and it, it shouldn't be misconstrued as to what was trying to be accomplished. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people out there talking about this issue right now. And across a lot of the soccer landscape, the LAFC landscape, I see a lot of people offering their two cents as to why this happened, but not a lot of people asking 3252 members why this happened. And this show has the benefit, of course, of having people within the 3252 on the show. And there are things that, you know, we can't pull back the curtain on for obvious reasons, but I do think it's important to stress a few things for people out there that might be confused as to why this happened. One, this is not exclusively to do with just the results in the game this last week in Carson. There are other factors in play here that concern relations between the 3252 and Dignity Health Sports Park, between the 3252 and their relations with Major League Soccer between the 3252 and their relations, even with our own stadium, our own front office, and of course, our own players. There wasn't a single person who walked out of Dignity Health Sports Park or turned off that broadcast after the midweek game that was not frustrated on many levels. In the 3252 and for the hundreds of us that were there in person, those frustrations were manifested in a lot of conversations about How do we tell the club, the players, the coaching staff, the front office, the league, the folks down at Carson that we're tired of the 3252 being taken for granted? We're tired of people not appreciating the work that these people are putting in, the time, the money, the effort, not only in the community, but in the meetings and in the planning and in the execution of all these things. And there are a number of issues that need to be worked out both within this club and outside of this club, that we felt it was important that perhaps we should step back for just a moment and let people see exactly what this LAFC experience would be like without the energy created by the 3252 in hopes that that helps ignite the right conversations to happen, not only in the locker room with our coaching staff and players, but in the greater landscape of the relationship between the 3252 and the front office and major league soccer and other franchises in which we go and visit. 
And so there's a lot of things that over the course of the past five years have led to this moment. And our performance when our team heads down to Carson is certainly the biggest piece of that. When you see the lineup that we put out in Columbus and the lineup that we put out in San Jose, it's clearly to see that of the three games in that week, our lineup versus Carson was one of the weakest lineups that we had put out. And then it took two devastating injuries in that first half. But even prior to Carlos Vela leaving that game, prior to Chiqui Palacios leaving that game, LAFC didn't have those ideas. And we went on ad nauseum about this on the last episode. And I do not mean to grind it into the dirt, but I don't want people to view this statement by the 3252 and have it be this reductionary view of, oh, they lost a game versus the Galaxy and the supporters are upset that they lost the game. It is much, much bigger than just one loss and the X's and O's as they played out on Wednesday. And so hopefully this ignites the right conversations and the right resolutions. And this is the last time that something like this ever needs to take place. It is not an image that I think anyone is particularly proud of, but I do think it was important at this time in the season for the 3252 to just say, hey, you know, this all could go away. All of this support and love and passion and positivity, it all hinges on there being multiple willing parties. And the 3252 certainly views themselves as the most willing party to come and blood, sweat, tears, root for this team. And we're just hoping to see the same from the other entities involved. Uh, that's my two cents on it, Chris. I don't know if you have anything you'd like to ask as a reflection on my words there or, or any further statement you'd like to make on it before we wrap that issue up. I think that anyone that has an opinion of the 3252 should really consider spending, the, spending a month you know, with an SG. And just seeing the, uh, you know, getting involved and almost shadowing somebody, seeing the amount of hours it takes for TIFOs and the amount of hours that they do for community service and, you know, uh, spending the time cheering in the North End. Because it, I think that it's easy to pass judgment when it, you're not doing everything that the 3252 contributes on, you know, and, and it's hard because like I, and I don't even see it all. But I know I see fractions of it through what you do and, uh, you know, through just social media and the amount of charity, like Global Diplomatic, right? They just had an issue, a, a, uh, an event at the Lab 5 where they went and donated food for uh, people at Skid Row. And they had the tournament at Lab 5, you know, to try and raise funds. Or how uh, the Cuervos had the, the Smash Burgers, the, the ones that Chiquilin does, right? It's, I mean, when you look at all of the ways that this community is trying to bolster it and build it out i think it's unfortunate sometimes that the people can can perceive things in certain ways and then they want to put down or disparage efforts it's just it's 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 frustrating but at the same time i i i can i don't know i guess i can see both sides of it but i would just encourage people that before you sit here and try and pass a judgment or or make an a formulate an opinion i should say not necessarily pass judgment formulate an opinion that uh, you do your due diligence to spend the time to have as as informed of an opinion as possible yeah maybe you know walk a mile in our adidas for a little while i do want to give some serious shouts out to the cuervos those burgers were fire oh man i had one while i was next door at defender's tank the defender's tent there and i was doing shots for mo 
I heard that the Cuervos raised an insane amount of money selling those burgers. Hats off to them. A shoulder to shoulder and defenders of the bank, the pod fam getting together. We were able to sell quite a few shots for Mo as well, too. We raised over $740 as well, selling those tequila shots, which were donated by you in many ways, Chris. So thank you for that. Poured by myself. So excited to, to see that keep going. And we'll have more shots for Mo out there on Christmas Tree Lane when we get back to games. So let's go ahead and dive into that. We got a few games coming up hot and heavy as soon as we come out of this international break. So starting with June 18th, we'll be up on the turf in Seattle. We'll immediately be coming back to play the 26th and the 29th at the bank versus the New Jersey Energy Drinks, followed by FC Dallas. We have a game away at Vancouver and then rounding out July 8th, home versus the Galaxy. So that is a pretty tough stretch of opponents coming out of this international break. Obviously, we're looking right now to get healthy. Is three weeks going to be enough time to get Escobar back to fitness? Blessing, Hollingshead, Vela, you name it, the list goes on. Ismail Tajuri Shradi. How many of these players are going to be able to be fit and ready to go? Because once again, in a two and a half week span, we've got five games. It's, it's a game every three, four days. Once again, as we come out of this break, and the same issues that we were talking about of compacted schedule leading to injuries and poor performances. Here we come out of the break to a compacted schedule versus a run of some pretty good teams, right? Seattle, now that their CCL run is over and they're fully focused on this season, is going to be a very different from Seattle than the one that was, you know, hanging out at the bottom end of the standings. I don't think anyone anticipates them to spend the rest of the season there. As Will Koontz told us, they've won the cup in years where they were in last place in the middle of summer because they know how to put it together at the right time. Red Bull, not a bad team. FC Dallas, right behind us in the standings. I mean, they've been creeping up on us over the course of the past three weeks. Going to Vancouver and traveling to Canada, that's nothing to scoff at. And then, of course, coming home versus the hated ones, the Carson Galaxy as well, too. It's a pretty rough stretch. So, Chris, what are your thoughts on that run of games as we come out of this break? I think that we need to take a page out of how we did in May and look to try and improve on the things that we need to do better on um, and, and take note of the things that we did well on. Um, I think that rotation is going to be key again. Um, and I think that Steve Terendolo would behoove himself to earmark the matches that I think we find most important. Obviously that, finishing off these five matches against the galaxy like we're gonna want to make sure that the roster we put out against the galaxy on the eighth is the absolute best roster that we have so that's gonna mean that we might have to put in some rotational players against vancouver and if you work backwards right like i think that of these matches the the priority is going to be the galaxy game and of the other four you're going to want to maybe take six to seven points ideally from the other four so what so, what teams are you circling as far as obviously galaxy's number one but between vancouver dallas red bull and seattle who's your number two and three on that list part of me wants to to say uh the red bull at home and vancouver uh and the reason i i i i'm 
not focusing so much on so playing Seattle in Seattle is always hard, but especially on that turf, I would I would hate to see somebody get injured on that turf. It happens. It's not an uncommon occurrence um, that plays to Seattle's advantage. Um, so if we don't get a victory in Seattle, I'm not going to be shocked. And it's not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, wow, we should have won that match. Playing the Red Bull at home, the Red Bull are going to have to travel six hours. It's going to be a three-hour time difference for them. I, I really think that that, especially I don't think the, the New York Red Bull are playing as well as, as, as they would have liked to, as well as they would have liked. So I would say I would circle the New York Red Bull as one of those ones that I feel we should win. FC Dallas is a strong opponent right now. It'll be three days after a match. So I kind of feel like it's one of those ones where we kind of just have to put in those rotational players. Um, or maybe we come out with full guns a blazing and we try and get, if we try and play two really tough, uh, to try and get the two points right there. Either way to me, I'm saying the New York Red Bull should be a win. Vancouver should be the win and the match against the galaxy. We need to be fully rested. So I just want to make sure that we prioritize the Galaxy match. the uh, A win against the Red Bull, however it plays out, FC Dallas will play them tough, but if we have to substitute players and take a loss so that we have players available for Vancouver to get the win in Vancouver, I'm okay with that too. I just I want to try and get six points, six to seven points between Seattle, Red Bull, Dallas, and Vancouver and prioritize the players uh, so that we are able to have the best squad available for the Derby. I suppose there's two schools of thought, right? Put out your best squad versus the weaker teams to try and secure the points there, and then let the chips fall as they may with a better team at this point in the season where it's not win or go home and, and save your best versus those teams for a potential playoff meetup. Or the other way around is to say, you know, play your best players versus the best teams and, and and try and go out there and prove it to them at this point in the season and versus lesser teams field your second squad or some rotation there. And I, you know, I'm kind of with you. I say, go after the points that are the easiest and maybe don't show our hand to Seattle or Dallas just yet, but you can't ever take a game off versus the galaxy. Cause when you absolutely take a game off versus the galaxy, maybe even in a cup game. I think we've seen how that resonates with this fan base and uh, all eyes are going to be on July 8th, uh, especially because Galaxy have all the bragging rights right now. They threw a little temper tantrum after what happened over the weekend. They had every right to gloat and parade after what happened midweek. And I can only imagine that going into this game just a little bit more than a month away from where we sit right now, those feelings are still going to be fresh in everyone's mind. But what they are going to see is a slightly different LAFC roster. We've already mentioned that Eddie Segura is coming back. But it looks like there's a little bit more smoke and a little bit more fire to this conversation around Giorgio Cialini. So it is more officially official, if not yet officially official. But Fox Soccer has reported from Fabrizio Romano that the deal is done. Uh, according to reports from Felipe Cardenas, it is an 18-month TAM deal that he is signing. It is alleged that both parties are currently meeting in London in order to get that signature finalized uh, and that Giorgio will be showing up somewhere in the next few weeks here in Los Angeles. So we heard these reports from sources that we felt were credible 
Now we're starting to hear them from sources that make it seem like this is a lock. Of course, until we get that cap tilt, that box, we don't know 100% for sure. But what does this mean, Chris, for our center back depth chart? Because if we've got Segura back, he's starting. You don't bring in a guy like Cellini to not play him. Although given his age and given his fitness and, and injury record, he might not be that star. But you've still got two players for two positions in Segura and Cellini. And then as far as what is normally just two backups on a roster, we've now got Murillo, Ibiaga, Fall, Donnell Henry. And we're still not talking about Tony Leone as well, too. So what does this all mean for the LAFC depth chart at center back? And, and, and who do you think is going to get those starts over the course of those five games? It'll be interesting to see. Is Eddie Secura, is Eddie Secura going to be able to do 90 minutes come June 18th? Probably not. Is Chiellini going to be able to adapt himself into Steve Trundle's system by the 18th? Maybe not. So I think that we're still going to have a little bit more of what we currently have at the beginning of these five matches. But come the Galaxy game, which again is just two weeks later, I think we're going to have still more of the same. Maybe Segura is ready to go for 90 minutes, but maybe not. Um, it's hard to tell. You know, I don't like it's hard for me to evaluate people's fitness, too. You know, I've, I've never played. I have I have no idea what it takes for you to be 90 minutes ready. And we also don't know what the formation is going to look like. Maybe Steve Trendolo wants to go with three center backs from now on. Maybe that was something that he wanted to do from the beginning of the season, and he just didn't have the players available to do it. If we were to go with three center backs, it would make it a lot more appeasable for this player personnel, the issue that we might be facing. Um, and if that was the case, maybe we did go with three backs of Chiellini, Segura, and Mamadou Fall, or David Jesus Murillo. And it would also make it a little bit easier to rotate players in like Ibiaga and Donnell Henry if he decide, if we end up keeping his services. Um, I know that you'd mentioned how Donnell Henry was looking to make a run for the Canadian uh, World Cup roster, and, and the only way you're going to make that roster is if you're playing minutes. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But it's going to be interesting to see, and I think that, having players with the ability to push and motivate and challenge each other to get the best out of each other. It's, it's hopefully going to just make our center backs that much stronger, regardless of whoever the pairing or triplet configuration is. I do think this is not the same LAFC roster today that we are going to see at the end of June and probably not the same roster at the end of July. As that summer window opens, I think we're obviously looking at at least one DP addition. But I think we could also be seeing some subtractions as well, too. The summer window is typically when some of those big European clubs swoop in and try and land the signatures for some of these MLS players. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of the players that you know we've heard about clubs talking to LAFC about whether it's a Mamadou Fall, whether it's a Brian Rodriguez, whether it's a Jose C. Fuentes, or frankly, whether or not Vela is fit and able to come back and the team decides he's worthy of that DP contract. There's a lot of question marks around various pieces on this team. Blessing is in the final year of his contract. You know, could we see some of these players 
sold on in order to make space for some new players coming in or, or some roster overhaul that, you know, after looking at this much season, you know, the combination of Dolo and that front office team think that this is the direction we need to go. And some of these players aren't cutting it and, and they want to bring some stuff in. So, you know, I, I have absolutely no idea what the FO is going to do come the end of July when we start seeing a little different roster. But I do think it's going to be a very, very exciting time to be an LAFC fan with our roster potentially being very, very different as we approach the middle part of this summer. Uh, and in speaking of rumors, there was another player rumored to LAFC. Now, this is coming to you guys from The Sun, which is by all means not the most reputable of outlets, but we have heard this from a couple other different people as well, too, that potentially, 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 <laughs> former Arsenal player, former England player, Theo Walcott has received an offer from LAFC. Uh, he's currently on loan from Everton to Southampton, but he's got 47 caps for the English national team, played for Arsenal for 12 years. Uh, it's certainly a recognizable name, if, if albeit at the end of his career. Uh, he hasn't found the back of the net once in the 2021 campaign for Southampton, where he's at on loan from Everton. But uh, what are your thoughts of Theo Walcott potentially joining the black and gold, Chris? I'm, I'm mixed on it. Theo is a player that I think could could help LAFC. Obviously, if you're playing at the EPL level, you have a certain level of ability and skill that would definitely influence any MLS side. I just, we have for the better part of five seasons now, we have given ourselves this label of being a team that doesn't bring in these older veteran European players. And I find that that badge, we wore it like a badge of pride. Like we are not the same as another MLS side that would look to hire in. Yeah, th this isn't a retirement league. This isn't a right. retirement team. And, and we have always had this, this um, image of, hey, we're going to invest in young, exciting, youthful players, develop them and send them on their way. But then you see a big signing like Chiellini who's in his mid to late thirties. And then you see one from Theo Wolcott, who's in his early thirties. And, and that's not to say that he may not still have, you know, eight or nine good years left in him. But the fact is, is that his season is closer to being over than it is to just beginning and not his season, his, his career, his career is closer to being over than it is to not being over. And, and so when you do that, right. I've always liked LAFC taking the risks and having the young players and looking to develop them. And sometimes they hit and sometimes they don't, but when they hit, they're fun and you get behind them and you look forward to seeing where they're going next. When you get a player like Theo Walcott, you get the impression or at least in, or if, if not, it's in the back of your head is, is this his last stop? And if this is his last stop, I don't like, I don't want to ever be anybody's last stop. You know, like I, I don't want to be this club where people retire with our team. I want to be a club where we send people off on their way. 
But at the end of the day, if somebody like Theo Walcott comes in and gets us a championship, I'm going to be just as happy too. So, you know, it's like, what, what am I really, what am I really complaining about? I have no idea. He could be great. He may not be great. You know what? So many different players. It's not just what they put on the pitch. It's how they are in the locker room. It's how they are off the pitch. It's how they show for fitness. It's, it's the culture that they bring alongside with them. Um, I don't really know anything about Theo Walcott other than what he does on the pitch. So, I, I mean, to me, it, it could be a great signing. It could be a terrible signing. I have no idea. I, I guess it kind of comes down to, obviously, roster cap, how much money is he making? To get a name like his, you'd have to imagine that it's going to be a healthy amount of money. Is he worthy of a DP contract, given his age and performance of late? No. If it's a TAM deal, would that money be better spent getting someone within the league? Maybe. But you have to figure this is probably not someone who's going to come in and, and take minutes from Chicho Arango or Carlos Vela or Brian Rodriguez. But if Tia Walcott comes in and starts taking Mahala minutes, Moose minutes, Cal Jennings minutes, that then it starts to look like an addition to the roster. But at what cost? And that's the real question here is how does this affect cap space? How long is the contract? Is he just seeing it out for the end of summer to have some fun? What's his buy-in? There's so much about this that it seems like a rumor right now. It doesn't seem like it's something that's that's really concrete. But we'll see. We just wanted to float that by you guys as something that came across our radar. Uh, that's about going to wrap us up for things that are going on currently within the black and gold for us this week for episode 122. We'd really like to thank Alan Vu, the Savvy Panda, for coming by. So will be our final episode in AAPI month as we get ready for Pride Month. We're looking forward to hopefully there will be another Pride TIFO. Um, I know the one with Freddie Mercury won TIFO of the year. And so we've sort of set a precedent with our Pride TIFOs. I'm really hoping we see another one of those throughout the course of this month. And it's going to be some fun community events. And Chris, it arrived in the mail today. I've got it sitting right over here about five feet from where I'm sitting. But I want your thoughts on I've got it the first ever kit with Rockstar across the front. It's our pride kit. Check this bad boy out. Are you, are you digging it, dude? Come on now. Look at look at that. Look at that beautiful threads. I feel like it's something out of the 80s. <laughs> it's a little little leisure suit for you. Right. It feels like that's something MC Hammer would be wearing. That's exactly what somebody <laughs> else called it to me. They're like, looks like MC Hammer pants. Um, it, it's an interesting design. Um, it's fun. I, I love it because, it, you know, I'm, I, you know me, I'm a big rock star fan. I love me some rock star yellow. It's what gets me going in the morning. So I love that that's across the front. I like support and pride, but uh, it's definitely an interesting look. I'm not I'm not 100% sold. I was hoping I was really going to like it a lot more when I saw it in the flesh. And uh, I'm not I'm not so convinced it's won me over now that I'm holding on to it. But uh, I, I am happy nonetheless to have snagged it. But uh uh, I, I don't think it's going to be one of the more popular pride kits, nor do I think we've really hit it out of the park yet with one of our pride kits. Uh, and I'm really hoping that uh, we start seeing a little, a little different design going forward into these kits that brings something with just a little more fire to it uh, next year. It's not, it's not a terrible kit though. I just, I personally don't like the stuff that is shared uh, league wide. I personally like when LAFC has stuff that's strictly just LAFC. Um, 
you know, the fact that you, any, you know, any one of these teams can have this pride kit. All you do is change the crest and the logo sponsor and boom, you've got your own one. And I just, but I guess I'm spoiled in that way because LAFC has had a lot of stuff that is uniquely to LAFC that I just sit here and now I'm in an elitist, as they would say, where it's like, no, I'm just going to hold out for the unique LAFC stuff and not buy the generic league branded stuff. Yeah, this year's parlay kits were not great. Um, also very frustrating to watch that game in, in parlay kits because, I, I mean, it, it was impossible to read numbers. I mean, you had to memorize haircuts if you had any idea who was on the ball in that game, which, you know, fortunately uh, for the young people out there with great eyesight, it's probably fantastic. But for us old people out there, sometimes it's nice to have the numbers uh, to be able to tell who's out there. And with those parlay kits, I had absolutely no idea uh, you couldn't read name or number on the back of those things but uh, fortunately we had a lineup that uh, was fairly easy to figure out that day but yeah dude i'm i'm, I'm okay with this kit it, it's it's too legit it's too legit to quit i'll agree with you on that but uh it's a good wow kit. it's a good kit wow bringing it back dude stop <laughs> hammer time all right Folks, I, I think if I'm making MC Hammer references, that's that's going to about call it for episode 122. On behalf of myself, Jonathan Reimer, and of course, Christopher Sines, we'd like to thank you for listening. Christian Aparicio, brother, get better. We miss you. We hopefully get you back on the next one. Of course, shouts to the sound engineer and legend, Wilton. And of course, once again, thanks to Alan Vu, Savvy Panda, perhaps Vooski in the future. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and joining us as this week's guest. Uh, but that'll wrap us up for episode 122. Be sure to like and subscribe at LAFC S2S. Shoot us a shout out on any of the social media platforms. If in the future you'd like to come on the show and share your thoughts with us. But with that, we'll call it a day. Take us home, sticks. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.